0: Hello, my name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, as George was saying, we have been walking through as a church, thank you, uh, this series entitled For One Another. And, and the idea is that we don't live out our faith in isolation. We don't live out our life with Jesus alone. We live this out around each other and alongside each other. And so we've been asking, hey, what, do, what does this look like? When conflict comes up, uh, when we need to accept one another, what, what, what does this really look like? And so for today, we're going to be talking about forgiveness, forgiving one another. Now, I'll be honest with you, when I first found out that I would be teaching on this topic of forgiveness, instantly this, this, this face came to my mind. And that's probably the case with you guys. I'm sure with, with most of you in here, as soon as I said, or as soon as you saw in the bulletin, whatever, that today's topic was forgiveness. Uh, there, there's probably a name that popped up. There's probably a, a face that, that came to mind. And that's, that's what you instantly went to. Someone who has, who has wronged you or offended you in a great way. And you've had to wrestle with this idea of what does forgiveness look like? Do I forgive them? Have I forgiven them? These kind of questions. I'll tell you a little bit about the person who, who wronged me. Uh, he was actually a very close person to me. He had a, a very foundational uh, role in my upbringing. In fact, we shared the same roof for for many, many years, and I, I knew him very well. And he didn't actually wrong me. He didn't do anything to me. He actually did something to a member of our family, but it affected the entire family in such a way that it felt like it was an offense done to me. And it was something very terrible that he did. To make matters worse, I, I found out about the offense actually from someone else. I didn't hear about it from his own lips. And, 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 and I knew this man very well. I, I knew his character. I knew what he was about. I, I, I knew him very well and, and the way that he lived his life. And so instantly I called him up. And I said, hey, I just, I just got to tell you, I heard about this. I heard that you did something from this person. And I I, honestly, I just don't believe it. I I don't, I know you, I know your character. I I know that your integrity and and I just don't believe it. Is this true? And I, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. And unfortunately, to my, to my great shock, to my dismay, he said, yes, that, that is true. And in that moment, I mean, just. These emotions just kind of came. I, this anger boiled up inside of me, this, this sadness. There was, there was grief. There, there were all these emotions that kind of boiled up. I, I didn't know what to say. Over the next couple of weeks, we had another conversation or two over the phone. And he actually ended up flying out. Uh, this, this was in North Carolina where, where he was living and where uh, many of my family live, where I grew up. And I was in Dallas, Texas with my family, my wife and kids. And so he flew out to come stay with us for a day or two. And uh, during one of those evenings that he was with us, we ended up taking a long walk. Uh, outside one evening and he just, he just kind of he, 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 he expelled all the things that led up to the instance he, he talked about why he had done it and how he had been processing it he, he, he apologized, he acknowledged the pain that it had caused and the ripple effects that it had had and he acknowledged all that and he, he apologized, he said he was sorry, he asked for my forgiveness and in that moment I said, well yeah, I, I, I forgive you and in that moment we began to work towards reconciliation, we began to work towards you know, reestablishing that relationship of course, shortly after all that went down, I heard from the grapevine again that this was not a one-time offense. The confession that he had given me was not full. In fact, he had done this offense not just, not just once, not just twice, but actually multiple times he had done this. And I, once again, just shocked. I instantly, I picked up the phone. I said, hey, I heard that this was not a one-time event, even though you told me it was. And even though you apologized for the one time, I, I found that this was actually multiple times. Is this true? And he acknowledged, yes, this is true. And then by this time, lawyers got involved, the entire family was dismantled. The ripple effects of this have still affected, and and my extended family will never be the same because of what this man did. And once again, he asked, will you forgive me? And so when he asked, will you forgive me this time, two thoughts went through my head. So the first thought was this. I, I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus has forgiven me of all my sins. His expectation is that I forgive those who have offended me or those around me. So I, the right response to forgive. However, what does forgiveness really look like? What, what, what does that really mean for me to say, I forgive you? Does that mean that he can be around my kids again? Because I don't really want him near my kids. If I forgive him, does that mean that when he comes back into town, I open up my house and he can stay with me? Because I don't, I don't want him in my house. If I say, I forgive you, does that mean, oh, things are back to normal? It's as if it never happened. If I say I forgive you, does that mean every time I go to North Carolina to visit with family that I'm obligated to call him and spend time with him because I don't know that I really want that in the first place? What what, what does that really mean for me to say, yes, I forgive you again? And I learned something that day that many of you already know is that forgiveness is not simple. Forgiveness is complicated and forgiveness comes with, with all these layers and there's this process to it. And here's what I want us to learn today. I want us to realize that forgiveness is required if you follow Jesus However, it, it's a process. Forgiveness is required if you're a follower of Jesus, but it's, it's not simple. It doesn't always end the same way. Forgiveness is a process. It is not easy. It is not simple. Have, have you ever been through something like that? Have you ever undergone some kind of major offense that was done against you and, 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 and the anger and the sadness and the grief and different emotions came to mind? You were distraught and you weren't exactly sure what forgiveness would look like. Maybe the person who wronged you, maybe, maybe you confronted them on it and they just didn't seem to care. Maybe they didn't acknowledge the pain. Oh, I, I didn't really do that. Or maybe they, maybe they even threw it back on you as if it was your fault. Well, what you did led to this, and that's why I had to do this, I was obligated to. Or even worse, maybe they kind of gave a half-baked apology. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, I guess I did. I'm, I, I'm really sorry for that. But you could, just, you could just sense that sarcasm was kind of dripping off their tongue. They, they weren't really apologetic. There was no real remorse. I mean, what, what does forgiveness look like when the person doesn't acknowledge the pain they caused? Or they just don't care? What does forgiveness look like when it's a repeat offender? Maybe the person who offended you. It's, this has been like a broken record. It's like this thing that comes up over and over. They offend you. You confront them on it. They apologize. You forgive. Some time passes happens again. You keep opening up your heart and they keep crushing your heart. I mean, what, what does forgiveness look like in a situation like that? Or maybe the person who offended you, maybe they have scarred you for life and, and your life will never be the same again. Because of what they did, you will never see your loved one again. Because of what they did, your, your marriage is over. It's done. It's broken. It's irreparable. Because of what they did, the nightmares won't go away. The therapy isn't working. I mean, because of what they did, you've been scarred. So what, what does forgiveness look like in that situation? I mean, even if I get to the point where I can utter the words, I forgive you, what, what, what would I really be saying at that point? If you forgive them, does that mean you're required to forgive and forget? Like you have a switch in the back of your head? I mean, how do you, how is that even possible? Am I supposed to let them off the hook if I forgive them? I mean, are, are, are the consequences thrown out? Does that mean if I forgive them, I can't kick them out of my house? If I forgive them, does that mean I can't press charges? If I forgive them, does that mean that they're not required to pay back or make any kind of restitution? I mean, what what does forgiveness really look like? And if I forgive them, does that mean I have to give them a second chance? Do I open up my heart for romance again with this person? I'm not sure that's possible. Am I required to be their best friend again? because I What what does forgiveness actually, what, what do those words actually mean? What am I saying when I say those words, if I decide to say those I think we're all realizing forgiveness is not simple forgiveness is a very complicated topic to talk about today it is required if you follow Jesus but 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 it is a process and so I want to dip into that process today we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3 Colossians 3 verses 12 through 14 so if you have a bible you can turn there if you have an app on your phone or device you can open it up there otherwise you can look at the screen and there's also some uh, some of these words are in the bulletin in your notes but read this along with me. Colossians 3, I'm going to start in verse number 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, for those of you who have decided to follow Jesus, you're all in. He has forgiven you of your sins. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself, Well, in other words, demonstrate these attributes, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, or meekness perhaps, and Patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, now look at those, look at those attributes that he lists again in verse number 12. He mentions to clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with, with patience. I think all of us that follow Jesus, we want to, we, we strive to exemplify these traits. We want our kids to grow up, uh, learning to exemplify these traits. We want the people around us to demonstrate these virtues. We want to work around people like that. We want our family to be like this. We want to be people who are known for compassion and kindness. And the truth be told, all these things would be very easy to live out were it not for other people. If it weren't for other people, I could easily be patient and kind, but it's the other people in my life that make me not patient and not kind and not meek and not gentle. So he goes on to verse 13, and he tells us that there's, there's two kinds of people that make living out these virtues very difficult. The first kind of person is those who annoy us. And for these people, he says, bear with one another. And what he means by that is tolerate one another because people are going to annoy you and get on your nerves. It's that person, it's, it's that girl in your dorm room that they put the popcorn in the microwave, they hit the popcorn button, everyone knows you don't hit the popcorn button. You just wait until, you know, th- there's so many seconds between each pop and, and, and the smell of burnt popcorn goes through the entire dorm and Marsha, 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 right? It's, a, it's bear, bear, bear with one another, tolerate one another, right? It's that guy in your break room, you sit down, you try to eat your lunch and this guy sits and, and opens up his brown sack with his lunch and does that smacking thing and you're thinking, Gerald? we're to remember to bear with one another, to tolerate one another. If you're a kiddo, it's when you go to the playground and you're on the playground, and everybody sees you coming and it says, oh, look, it's Nick, and they start singing the Nickelodeon theme song. These are all hypothetical situations. <clears throat> but we're to remember in these moments that we're to bear with one another, to tolerate one another, and all of us are going to annoy each other, and we've been on the other side of that. We've all said things that we didn't even realize in the moment may have had a, a racial slur to it. We've all said things that were insensitive and maybe we didn't quite fully realize how insensitive that is. We've all had moments where we, we charge ahead with something and in the process kind of push someone else aside and, and maybe we do realize it maybe maybe we don't but, but we all go through these moments where we offend people other people offend us and, 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 and if possible the best thing to do is just let that stuff roll off our back bear with one another tolerate one another you don't have to make a big deal out of it and confront each other when these minor things happen. Here's what he says in Romans twelve eighteen: if it is possible as far as depends on you just, just just live at peace with each other. Let, let these small offenses go. And so, so living at these five virtues of, 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 of compassion and kindness, the people that just suck this stuff out of me, there are those who, who annoy me, but then secondly, more importantly, there are those who, who offend me. They, do, they create an offense against me. They, they, they wrong me in a way that deeply hurts me. And this is what he says in verse 13. He says, bear with one another, but then he also adds, forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. I've been grieved, I've been hurt, I've been offended, I've been wronged, I've, I, I, I am grieving over what you have done to me. And the response to that is to forgive this person. Now if I'm honest, if I'm transparent, I don't, I don't jump right on the forgiveness train right away. The forgiveness is not my natural response when I'm offended. In fact, when, when I become offended by someone, when someone does something uh, wrong against me that hurts me, there's two things that I do. Number one, I obsess And number two, I oppress. I obsess and I oppress. Here's what I mean by that. I obsess on it. I want to brew over it. I want to stew over it. I want to review it. I want to hit replay in my head. I want to relive that hurt that has happened to me. I don't want to let go of that anger quite yet. I want to feel that anger in its fullest form and even stew on that a little bit more. I want to replay what has happened in my head. I want to relive the experience. I don't want to let go because... And there's a piece of me that kind of likes the anger that, that comes with that. I, I, want to, I want to envision this happening, and I just want to obsess on it a little bit. I want to do some role-playing in my head. I want to have these conversations with this person. Hey, next time I see them, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say that. They're probably going to respond this way. I'm going to say this, though, to that. I'm going to make sure that they know exactly how hard... They or how badly they made me feel. I want to make sure that so and so is also in the room. I want to make sure that, that other people are aware of the situation. I, I want to make sure that other people feel this pain with me. I want to make sure they really understand what they have done to me. I want to obsess on this a little bit. I'm going to relive it. I'm going to hit replay. I'm going to have these conversations in my head. As I do this, I'm going to villainize them and victimize myself. As I tell the story over and over in my head, I'm going to, I'm going to elaborate some details just to make them seem a little worse. I'm going to hold back some details just to make myself seem a little more righteous. I'm going to paint this picture in my head where I'm the righteous sufferer and they are the evil villain coming on top of me. I'm going to, to, to villainize them a little more. I'm going to victimize myself a little more. I'm just going to obsess over this wrong that has happened a little bit. I'm going to revel in my bitterness. I'm going to revel in my anger. I'm going to, I'm going to revel in the resentment that comes. I'm going to look at their Instagram status. How could they go on vacation at a time like this? I'm going to look at all their Facebook photos. I'm just going to think about them all the time, and I'm going to obsess over the wrong that has happened. And I know some of you are thinking, Nick, you are crazy, but I think if we're all honest, you do this too, don't you? You do this a little bit. You, you obsess over things that are happened. Now, I, I want to be honest, that, or I want to be straightforward, that to some extent, some of these things are healthy for a season. When, we have, when these emotions come over us, anger and sadness and grief, I mean, these, these, are, these are good emotions, these are necessary emotions, and, and we need to take time to fully feel We need to take time to fully realize what has actually happened. We need to take time to to actually process the wrong that has been done. But we have to realize that at some point we are responsible for our reactions to those feelings. We are responsible to the reactions to those thoughts that come into our heads. And for me to hold on to that and obsess over it, it forces me to put my life on pause. I can't move forward. I can't do my job effectively. I can't be there for my family effectively. When I when I obsess on something, I begin to lock up. When I obsess on something, I begin to isolate myself or other people, and that leads to other problems. When 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 I lock on and hold on to bitterness, it can affect my mental health and it can it can affect my emotional health. It can keep me from moving forward. If I obsess, that's that's actually very unhealthy for me. Here's how one guy put it. He said, "Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past." To roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come. To savor the last toothsome morsel. Both the pain you were given and the pain you were giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. And the skeleton at the feast is you. When someone wrongs me, I I don't naturally want to forgive. I, I want to obsess on this a little more. But I also want to oppress. I want to obsess and oppress the person who has offended me I want others to know what they did I need to spread this I need to make sure there is exposure to this I need to make sure other people know exactly what they have done to me I need to make sure that gossip spreads so that other people know what has happened to me I want others to be protected from this too so I mean it's only reasonable that I would spread word and kind of throw them under the bus I want them to pay for what they did I want revenge I want them to feel what I'm feeling I'm hurting and they should be hurting too I want to oppress them by chasing them away when we're in a room it's going to be awkward I want to make them feel that awkwardness when they come to my Live, Love, Lead group, I want them to feel like they don't quite belong there anymore. When, I, when we have family gatherings, I want them to feel like they're not quite a part of the family like they used to be. When I enter the same room with them, I want them to feel the tension. I want them to be able to cut the tension with a butter knife. I want to lock eyes, and, and I want those thoughts to come back. I want to, I want to oppress this person as much as I could. This reminds me of a, of a patient one day. who There was a man who got bit by a dog and found out the dog had rabies. And this was back in the days before there was really a cure for rabies. So, so they rushed into the hospital real quick, and the doctor he, he explained that yes, you've, you've been diagnosed with rabies. There's not, unfortunately, much we could do. So, the doctor recommended that you get your affairs in order. You don't have much longer to live. And so, the patient is sitting up in the bed after hearing this news that he's been infected, and he's just he's shell shocked. There's there's no emotion on his face except shock. He stares at the wall. He's unable to speak or or think, process. The doctor decides to back away for a moment, give him some space, and checks on other patients. When the doctor comes back, about 20 minutes later, he notices that the patient has, has come out of his initial shock. He's got, he's got a memo pad, he's got a pen, and he's is, he is writing frantically on this, and, and paying very close attention, writing frantically on this memo pad. The doctor comes and sits next to the patient. He says, I'm, 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 glad, that, I'm glad to see that you're taking this seriously. I'm glad to see that you're, you're beginning to work on a will. And the patient says, oh, this ain't a will. This is a a list of all the names of people I need to bite before I die. (laughs) See, when I'm wronged, I don't necessarily want justice. I, I want vengeance. When I'm wronged, I don't necessarily want restitution. I want revenge. I want to obsess. I want to oppress. And I think all of us realize that obsessing and oppressing only makes matters worse, and it can completely wreck me. Here's what Hebrews 12, 15 words says. See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile you. It can, it can absolutely wreck you to hold on to that bitterness and react to the emotions going on in, in, in an improper way, to obsess and to oppress. And, of course, Colossians 3.13, our passage today, gives us a much, better, a much better solution. He says to forgive one another. But, of course, this leads to a logical question. Why should I forgive? Why, why would, remember the story I told you, this guy dismantled my extended family. Why, why, why should I forgive him? What is the reason for this? Well, number one, we, we, we saw that it can, it can affect me. If, if I don't forgive, it can actually wreck me. It's like eating rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. I mean, it just, it doesn't help. It doesn't help me when I hold on to this bitterness, to this anger. But there's a much greater reason that he gives at the end of verse 13. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I ought to forgive because God has forgiven me. And if you're a Christian, someone who follows Jesus, someone who has been forgiven of all your past sins, someone who has been forgiven of the current state of sin that you live in every second of the day, someone who has been forgiven of all the sins that you are yet to m- commit in the future, someone who has been pardoned from all of that, the reasonable response is that we would forgive those who offend us. Mark eleven twenty five. if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins as well. Because I have been forgiven... There's in, an inseparable link between receiving forgiveness and granting forgiveness. However, we need to also realize that it's a process. It's not something that happens within a second, within an hour, within an overnight, within a week. Forgiveness is something required if you follow Jesus. But it's a process, and there's a process you have to go through. Let's look at that process for a second. I want to show you a picture up here on the screen. It begins with forgiveness, and that forgiveness can, is just something that can happen in your own mind, in your own heart, and then if you're, if you're taking notes, there's a blank there for the end of the process, which is reconciliation, and we're, I want to I get ahead of myself we 're going to get to this in a minute, but you may not reach that last step. It takes one to forgive, it takes two to reconcile, and you may not with the person who 's offended you, you may not fully see a restored relationship with that person. But forgiveness is a process, and so let 's talk about what, what is forgiveness When I say those words, I forgive you. what am I actually saying by that? It reminds me of a story of this teacher, this teacher. Uh, in grade school, she had two students, two boys named Luke and Brian. One day, Luke and Brian were getting into a bit of a tussle on the playground. They, they began to say things. The voices began to raise. They began to lob words at one another. They began to hurt each other's feelings. And Luke eventually had had enough. And so Luke throws a punch at Brian's gut, knocks him to the ground. The teacher sees this happen. She rushes over. She says, hey, hey, stop, stop it. She looks over at Luke and says, Luke, tell him you're sorry. And, of course, Luke crosses his arms he furrows his brow I'm sorry you you can just see the remorse (laughs) you can see it's just such a sincere apology the teacher you know what are you going to do so she accepts it and it's the best I'm going to get she looks over at Brian now Brian you know what to say to Luke tell Luke that you forgive him. Brian pauses for a moment he's not quite ready for this he takes a step forward steps up right in front of Luke takes a deep breath and then just sucker punches him right in the gut just gets him right back you know and the teacher wait a minute luke's on the ground he's sobbing he, he lost his breath he grabs brian brian i told you to forgive him not sucker punch him he says oh i'll forgive him but i had to get even first i think we'll all realize that that's not true forgiveness that's 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 getting even that's that's vengeance however i just want to play out the story again And let's say that it happened the way the teacher had envisioned it happening let's say that brian walks up to luke he takes a deep breath and he says those words i forgive you question what is he actually saying when he says i forgive you is he saying no big deal you didn't actually hurt me is he saying oh i'm gonna forgive and forget i forgot it even happened i don't even know where that bruise came from when he says i forgive you is he saying oh we're best buddies again no big deal is he denying? I mean, what, what, does he, what is he actually saying when he says the words, I forgive you? Well, here's a definition, uh, w- one way of describing forgiveness that I want to give you. It's releasing a debt that cannot be repaid. If you're taking notes, just, just write this down. Releasing debt. Forgiveness is releasing a debt that cannot be paid. Because when someone offends me, when someone wrongs me, when someone does something to hurt me, what they do is they take something away from me that they cannot replace. They have taken away my joy. They have taken away my money. They have taken away my trust. They've taken away my rights. They've taken away my peace. They've taken away my possession. They've taken away my security. They have taken something away from me that they cannot fully repack, repay. And, and they, can, they can take steps to, tr- to try to repay me and to make it better and to apologize and to, to seek restitution. But they cannot fully pay me back. Man, you, you were texting and driving. And because of you, I, I'm not going to see my sister again. You abused me, and there's nothing you can fully do to take away the anxiety that I face now. You embarrassed me, and there's nothing you can do to take away the stigma that I have now. You broke one of my possessions that is irreplaceable. There's nothing you can do to, re- to repay me for that. There are moments that are going to happen where a debt has been created that cannot be repaid. And forgiveness is a matter of saying, I release you. I release that debt. I release you from the obligation to pay me back for the wrong, because you can't repay me back for the emotional debt, the mental debt, the physical debt, whatever that debt is that you have caused. I had this moment last night as I was as I was rehearsing this sermon. My son, uh, he, he was getting ready for bed, both my kids, and and my son, he kind of saw me in the bedroom, just kind of pacing and talking to myself, and that was weird for him. <laughs> so, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> so he he walks in, and sits down. What? Why are you talking to yourself? You do this too, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm talking to myself and well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just kind of getting ready for what I'm going to say tomorrow. I'm doing the sermon. He said, well, what are you talking about? I said, I'm going to talk about forgiveness and what, and what it means to forgive somebody, what, what, that, what that really means when you say I forgive you. And at this point, I think he's just trying to get out of going to bed at night. So he just said, well, what does that mean? And so, hey, this is an opportunity for a conversation. So I, I, I jump on that and I say, well, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to tell everybody that saying I forgive you means that you're releasing a debt. You're releasing an obligation that they have to pay you back. Which of course in first grade this kind of goes over the head. So I say uh, basically it means that they can't fix it and and they don't need to fix it. And so my son says well what if the person breaks your heart? Don't they need to try to fix it? I said oh that's such a good point. Man! Now i got to change this go go to bed i I felt such a good point so i want to slow down just a little bit i did not change everything didn't have time for that but i do i do want to clarify just a little bit about what we're talking about so when i say i forgive you i want to talk about what that does not mean forgiveness is not forgetting the offense If I say I forgive you, I'm not overlooking the transgression that you have done. I am not denying the reality of the pain. I am not forgiving and forgetting. In in fact, I I know the Bible says that God separates our sins from the East and the West, uh, uh, restores the relationship that he forgives and forgets. But I think we all realize that this is hyperbole. An omniscient God who knows all things, who sees all things, cannot forget. But he forgives us in such a way that it's as if he has forgotten the offense. Because he treats us in a way... As though it's never happened. And so when I forgive someone, I'm, I'm not forgetting the offense or letting it roll off my back in such a way that I'm denying that you even hurt me in the first place. That, that is not what forgiveness is. Secondly, forgiveness is not erasing consequences. It's not a matter of letting the accuser off the hook. It's not saying that restitution doesn't need to happen. You don't need to pay me back in any way or, 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 or rebuild trust with me at all where everything's good. It's not forgetting the offense. It's not erasing the consequences. If Dave Shepard, the the treasurer of our church, embezzles $10,000 and we find out and go call him on it, he might say, I'm sorry, I apologize. He might pay back all the money, but that doesn't mean he can be reinstated. (laughs) You will never be treasurer again here, ever. And I forgive you. (laughs) Right? Forgiveness does not mean forgetting the offense or erasing consequences. There are still consequences to follow. So what does, what does I forgive you, What, what are we saying when we say I forgive you? Well, first off, we're saying, I refuse to obsess. I refuse to obsess over this. Thoughts are going to pop back into my head. I can't handle that. But I am holding myself accountable to how I react to those thoughts and how much I dwell on those thoughts. Nightmares are going to come to my mind when I sleep at night. In fact, I still have nightmares about the person I told you about. And I can't help that, but I can help how I respond when those moments come. If I genuinely forgave, that means that I'm not going to villainize you anymore. I'm not going to victimize myself. I'm not going to imagine you know, conversations that could happen between us in which I make you look bad and make myself look good and I'm, and I'm the hero that, that says just the right thing to make you cripple. I'm, I'm not going to obsess over this. I'm going to imagine putting myself in your place and just seeing how things are from your point of view. I'm not going to chew on that anger and roll in that bitterness. I'm, I'm, I refuse to obsess over the wrong. If I say I forgive you, I refuse to obsess. I refuse to oppress. We're going to be in the same room again and it's going to be awkward but I'm not going to go out of my way to make it awkward. We're going to see each other again, but I'm not going to go out of my way to remind you of what you did, even though we will be reminded of it. I'm not going to go out of my way to obsess over this or to oppress you for what you've done because I am releasing you from that debt that you cannot pay. Whether it's an emotional debt, a physical debt, a mental debt, you, you do not owe me anymore. And you don't have to say I'm sorry over and over and over again. I, I release that. I'm still hurting, but I release that. I will not obsess, I will not oppress, I forgive you. Now remember this is a process. Look at that picture just one more time. It starts with forgiveness and it starts with just a forgiveness that's in my mind, that's in my heart where I can come to the place where I'm going to say, God, I'm, I'm not going to obsess and I'm not going to oppress. It just, it just starts in my own mind. And you notice I don't really have a lot on this because whatever happened to you, whatever offense was done to you is going to look different. For you, the process might include a confrontation. James 5.16 reads this way. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other that you may be healed. For you, confrontation may be part of what needs to happen. For you, your process may be a process of rebuilding trust. Your teenager broke curfew. Honey, I forgive you, but I need those keys for a couple weeks. It may be a process of rebuilding trust. Your process may include restitution. When Jesus met Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. He was a tax collector that not only collected taxes, but collected far more than he needed to so that he could live luxuriously on other people's income. When he met Jesus, he, he, he vowed that he would make restitution and repay everybody. So restitution may be part of the process that you go through with those who offended you. Your process may include other people. It may include law enforcement. It may include counselors and therapy. I, I, your process will look different. And you may not get to that bottom line. You may not get to reconciliation. Unfortunately, I can't hand you an article that reads five steps to forgiving. It's not that simple. It doesn't work that way. It's a process of forgiving someone in my own heart and mind and then working as far along that process as I can get. But I, will, I do want to give you encouragement to get as close to that reconciliation step as you can. And here's why. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.18 on the screen here. 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus' mission on this earth was to pay the penalty for our sin So that he can reconcile mankind who was estranged from God, lost in our sins. He wanted to reconcile us back to a relationship with God. And once we are reconciled to God, once we decide to follow Jesus, he passes on the mantle and gives to us this ministry of reconciliation. And so it's part of my mission as a Christian to reconcile other people to God, and that also includes reconciling myself to you. Now, we may may never get to the bottom of that process. We may never get to that point. But let me at least encourage you to try that and to seek to get as close to reconciliation as you can. I want you to imagine for a second. I want you to imagine a world in which this has happened with you, in which you are not obsessing over the wrong that has happened. I want you to imagine a world in which, in which you don't have to replay the conversations in your head, in which you don't have to villainize and, and, and victimize. I want you to imagine a world in which you don't have to hit replay over and over and over and obsess. I want you to imagine a world in which you don't feel this obligation to oppress the other person, to make it awkward when you enter the room and when someone asks you about it, to throw them under the bus and go into all the details. I want you to imagine a world in which you do not, you are free to not obsess and not oppress. I want you to imagine what it would look like to start working down this process and whoever is wronged, you, what, what would, I don't know what the step would be. What would that next step be? Forgiveness is required if we follow Jesus, but it is a process. Now, before you leave today, I just want to give you two quick thoughts. Number one, uh, this is very practical, but uh, once a month we take up a compassion offering. It is, it is separate from the offering place that we pass. That goes to a compassion ministries fund for those who are in the church and within the community outside the church who uh, need monetary help. They need, they need physical aid, and so there's a process that we go through with them. So please give to that if you are able to. And secondly, I just want to say, if you need to talk, maybe it's about the events that, that George mentioned this morning. Maybe it's related to forgiveness and and you're stuck at at, at what that would look like or or how you could possibly begin working through this process. As he mentioned, uh, staff that are available, others that that may be uh, able to be available at the front here just to kind of talk with you, pray with you, and listen to you with that. We would love to make ourselves available to you. But this morning, I want you to remember that you are being sent. You are being sent to grant the kind of forgiveness that Jesus modeled. You are being sent to live emotionally healthy lives, not barricaded by obsession and oppression of wrongs done. You are being sent to carry on Jesus' ministry of reconciliation whenever possible. You are not dismissed. You are sent.